Uh, looking at the bulletin and looking at the pulpit, you've probably noticed that I am not Pastor Ellie Vergao. Uh, Ellie, Ellie is sick today. Um, she was scheduled to preach today, and um, she had finished writing her sermon, and then late yesterday afternoon was hit from the blind side by food poisoning. So here I am. She sent me her sermon, told me I could preach it, and I read it, and it's wonderful. But I decided to preach my own scribbled mess of a sermon instead. If, if I read Ellie's sermon, it would be like Yosemite Sam reading Shakespeare. <laughs> so we begin. In Mark chapter 10, Jesus sets out on a journey. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is always going somewhere always on a journey, and more often than not, he's going there quickly, immediately. And after he sets out, inevitably, he is interrupted by someone or something. That's a common theme in Mark's gospel. A, a woman grabs his cloak. A demoniac stops him in a graveyard. A blind man screams at him until he stops outside Jericho on the road. Pharisees pester him every chance they get. And in today's story, a man falls at his feet, blocks his path, and asks him a question. Good teacher, he says. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now remember, eternal life, as Jesus uses the words here, is not about never dying or life after death, although he will make reference to the age to come when he's talking with his disciples. It's not about living forever. It's about living now as if you have never lived before, fully and completely living into the life God imagined for you. Think about that. Eternal life is living into and fully into, completely, the life God has imagined for you. What Jesus calls the kingdom of God. It's not about life after death. It's about really living your life for the first time as if you have been born all over again, as if your life never happened. The kingdom of God, Jesus said, is within you, within me. The kingdom of God is among you. And the kingdom of God is revealed through you, 
each one of you, and it's happening now. God is here now. It's not something we're waiting for, but God is here now. It's not a reward you'll get someday if you do all the right things and believe all the right things. It is being set free now to let go of what you thought was your life, trusting God instead of trusting yourself. So Jesus says, those who try to keep their life will lose it, while those who lose their life, who let go of their life, who release their tight grip on their life, will find it. Now this is crazy stuff. Faith is not controlling the outcome. Faith is trusting God for the outcome. Eternal life is the wild idea that God is hiding in plain sight waiting to be discovered. It's the crazy idea that what God has made us to be has already begun. It's not desperately trying to get, but something you have already been given. It's not something you take, but something you receive. But back to our story. Good teacher, the man asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The man wants it. He wants to know what he can do to inherit eternal life. Like it's the family china or silverware. Maybe an entitlement. Something he can count on. How can I make sure I get this? The irony here, of course, is that he wants it, but he doesn't get it. He doesn't get what it's about. That it's not about getting and having and keeping. It's about being blindsided by the grace and the love and the mercy and the justice of God in real time, now. Deserve has nothing to do with it. As it is for so many of us, the man wants to know, what must I do? What must I do? He is earnest, but he's clueless. And by the way, Jesus says to him, don't call me good, only God is good. But back to your question, you already have the commandments. Don't kill, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't tell lies about other people, don't cheat, 
and res show respect for your mother and your father. Jesus takes the man back to the heart of the law. But I've done all these things since I was a kid, the man tells him. I still don't have it. And now we come to the heart of the conversation. Looking at him, Mark tells us, Jesus loved him. He loved him. There was no roll of the eyes, no exasperation. Looking at him, he loved him. There's your problem, Jesus tells him. You're trying to get it. To get it, first you must let go of everything, everything else. One thing you lack, he tells them, and we've talked about this before. You, what you lack is that you don't lack anything. You need to lack something. Give everything you have to the poor. Give everything you have away. And when you no longer have anything, you will finally have everything you need. You'll have the one thing that matters. Then you will have treasure in heaven, Jesus tells him. And again, he speaks of the age to come but when he uses the language of heaven here, it's not some heaven over the horizon, not some heaven when you die, not pie in the sky, but the heaven that is breaking loose right now when you let go, when you are no longer bound by what you want but can't get, when you are no longer bound by what Frederick Beekner would call the craving for salt of someone dying of thirst. And when we get what we want, it's often, more often than not, empty, unsatisfying, and the more unsatisfied we are, and the more less satisfied we become. Hearing this, Mark tells us, the man was shaken shocked, deeply troubled. And he went away sad. The word in the Greek is grieving. Among the commandments Jesus listed earlier, there was, there was one that was missing. Did you notice what was missing? You shall not covet. That was not included. I think he was saving that one to make his point. To covet is to want what you don't have. To see something someone else has and to want it. This man sees what Jesus has. The man sees what those who follow him have and he wants it. It is harder, Jesus says, for those who are rich 
to enter the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. I've heard all kinds of explanations about this, but this is messy. There's not much left of the camel after it goes through the eye of a needle. We could certainly talk this morning about the income disparity in this country. It's wrong. It is vulgar. It is unjust. It's shameful. A handful of people own over 97% of the wealth in this country. There's something wrong there. There's a bigger chasm between the rich and the poor than there ever was in the Gilded Age of the Vanderbilts and the Rockefellers. Cornelius Vanderbilt, who owned the New York Central Railroad, it is said, once threw a party at his summer mansion in Newport, Rhode Island. Have any of you seen it? It's called the Breakers. It's beautiful. And at that party, guests were said to have rolled $100 bills around their cigars and smoked them. They wanted to see what it would be like to inhale wealth. Vanderbilt was a member of Trinity Church in Newport, which is a beautiful, beautiful church. And if you're ever in Newport, Rhode Island, visit it. It's where the rich and the famous of the Gilded Age, playing in the summer in Newport, worshipped. And after Vanderbilt died, his family donated a stained glass window to the church, memorializing him. You go there, you can see it today. In it is a knight in armor, wearing Vanderbilt's face, and the words, wherefore put on the whole armor of God, and underneath, to the glory of God, in loving memory of Cornelius Vanderbilt. Now, if you want to have a stained glass window in your honor with your picture on it, we have a lot of spaces here. So just to let you know that that, that could happen. One thing you lack, Jesus said, and it's not a stained glass window. Amos had harsh words for the rich who, he said, trample the poor. These are words that burn white hot with rage. It's hard to even hold onto the page. And James asks the members of his church why they fall all over the wealthy when they walk through the door, but ignore the poor and give them the cheap seats. We are more than a century and a half from the robber barons, but 
In truth, we still fall all over ourselves for the rich, while the poor get left behind. I will endorse no one for president. We have a primary coming up. But I must say, we have a billionaire president, and we have billionaires running for president, and the world's richest man lives in our neighborhood. Well, not exactly in our neighborhood, but in the area. Lots of wealth and homeless camps in the same city. Now, it's easy to take shots at the rich. That's an easy thing to do. It's also easy to take texts like this and beat people over the head and create some guilt and shame and, and so we feel bad for a little while and, and then we compare ourselves to Jeff Bezos and we say, well, we're not really that rich. It's harder, though. It's much harder, though, to acknowledge the one thing we lack, and each one of us lacks that one thing. And that is to let go of our longing for more. To let go of the control of the outcome of our lives. All the while, craving salt as we're dying of thirst. The answer, Jesus reminds us, and the, rich, and the young man, is not getting more to fill the emptiness inside us, but breaking open our lives to those in need, giving our lives away with glad hearts, not with shame and obligation, but because we are so filled with gratitude for the life God has given us, we can't help ourselves. We are among the wealthy, not the super rich, but we are among the wealthy. And we can go away sad, or we can let go and follow Jesus. What will it be? As we come to communion today, you will hear these words. Come to this table, not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of his mercy and help. That's where we live. That's where we live. And it is in letting go that we can receive what God has given us. Amen.